What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack on your back for the past couple of years, well, your back probably hates you. They make the finest, the most well-built, and the most comfortable Fireline packs in the game. Hand downs, end of hands down, end of discussion. But in addition to this, they make a ton of other load-bearing essentials, like if you need to go uh, peel a trophy elk or a trophy deer off the side of the hill, well, they make a solution for you. You happen to need a backpack to throw your civilian clothes in and uh, have available for the next journey to the fire assignment, to the next fire assignment. Well, they got a solution for you. Hell, they even make briefcases. Speaking of which, check this out. They have the Urban Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase available for sale right now. And how can we forget? They also launched the Backbone series, but these things tie into each other quite well. Why? Well, because proceeds from the Urban Assault 21 pack and the three-way briefcase, are the, some of the funds are actually going directly to funding the Backbone series scholarship, which is pretty damn cool. So if you haven't checked out the Backbone series or you haven't entered into the Backbone series uh, scholarship yet, well, now's your opportunity. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out these packs if you want to uh, fund someone's scholarship. But you can also submit your entry to the Backbone series and have a chance to win one of these $1,000 grants. So if you want to go back to school, get some education under your belt, well, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. Thinker Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But aside from kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, they make a ton of other stuff, like all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, like camp cups, arrow presses, coffee filter things. They, they make a ton of stuff. I can't even go on to like list all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. Other than that, they make a ton of other apparel, some wildland firefighter themed apparel. Yeah. So if you want to help rep that firefighter culture, that wildland firefighter culture in the field or off duty, well, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. Also, they support us by slinging our merch. Yeah. So if you want to get your hands on an Anchor Point podcast t-shirt or some stickers or some other swag, well, like I said earlier, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you guys don't know what the Ass Movement is, well, it stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. I don't know about you guys, but I hate seeing unburied turds on public lands. It is nasty and that shit needs to stop. So if you have a problem pooper on the crew or maybe you need to teach somebody a little bit of etiquette, well, now's your opportunity to get all of your poo-bearing propaganda needs. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and check this out. You can get all of your poo-bearing propaganda at 10% off by using the code anchorpointass10. So once again, Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And if you guys don't know what that is yet, well, I highly, highly recommend you go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. What it is, is a digital archive, a digital uh, storytelling platform of wildland fire dating all the way back to the 1940s. It's pretty damn epic. Uh, there's over a there's a collection of over 100 of these stories, and it's pretty damn cool. Uh, also, check this out. They have also done the Smoky Generation Grants, or the American Wildfire Experience Grants. It's epic. So if you are into telling the story of wildland fire, well, now's your opportunity to go put your name in the hat for one of these Smoky Generation Grants. Opportunity to win 500 bucks for telling your story is up on the plate. So if you happen to be a photographer, a writer, a blogger, a videographer, anybody who's telling a story of wildland fire, well, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check them out. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. The 
views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Hope everybody is doing well. Uh, it is just past the solstice, so it's officially summer. And check this out. We are in PL of four. And I'm pretty sure PL of five is just right around the quarter. So this is the fourth time in the last 20 years that uh, we have established PL of four this early in the year. Uh, those years were 2002, 2008, and 2012. Kind of a little tracking of it and i guess indicative of a trend of uh these fire seasons becoming more and more gnarly over the years but with that being said we've got a long season ahead of us so take the time to reach out to your fire family and do a little buddy check while you're at it and uh buckle up for the long haul because 1039 seasonals just got extended they have the option well they may be extended i don't really know how to phrase that they're granted up to 15 60 hours i believe now so be prepared for the long haul. Today on the show, we are going to talk about emerging tech, and I am pretty stoked to have this. I'm kind of a dork and love new emerging technologies. So what better person to have on the show than Pete Vidmar, Peter Vidmar. He's uh, with the Colorado Division of Fire Prevention and Control, and he's had experience on the multi-mission aircraft platform, and he's going to tell us all about the brand new National Fire Guard program, which is a basically, a, a, I, I guess, a, an analytics service of taking all the fire data in the United States and centralizing it into nice, neat little digestible packages. So today on the show, we are going to learn about the multi-mission aircraft platform out of Colorado there and the fire guard program. And that's the national component of that. It's pretty badass. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Peter Vidmar. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point po- the Anchor Point Podcast. See, there I go again, man. I told you, man, I'm tired. <laughs> Anyways, today on the show, I've got my good buddy, Peter Vidmar from the National Fire Guard Program. How's it going, Pete? Hey, pretty good. How are you? Eh, not too bad, man. So tell us about yourself. All right. So uh, like you said, um, I work uh, with the National Fire Guard Program, um, but my day job and my um, employer is the state of Colorado, so I work for the Division of um, Fire Prevention and Control, and I work in uh, in the planning branch. And um, like I said, um, my day job is kind of connected to the multi mission aircraft program. Um, so that's a it's a program that we have. Colorado's the only state to have these as a state owned aircraft that are purely designed for fire intel. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I've been working for the last, uh, four years now. Nice, man. How do you like it? Uh, it's great. Um, it's a really, uh, sort of dynamic environment again, you know, cause it's pretty new and, and other, uh, states don't necessarily have something like this. Uh, and for that matter, the feds don't necessarily have something like this. So it's, um, it's really fun to be a part of a program that is forward leaning, innovative. Um, and we have some flexibility to do um, cool new things for developing, you know, map products for getting video and stuff down. We get to do a lot of testing with, um, other research and development arms, like, um, within the state, we have the center of excellence for advanced technology, aerial firefighting, which is uh, a mouthful. Um, but they're kind of our R and D shop. And so they work on a lot of other technologies like integrating, um, things like, um, ATAC, which is the Android uh, team awareness kit. So you can like see where people are on the ground and send data back and forth, stuff like that. Um, and then kind of like a, you know, real time, like forces tracker kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's based on what the, uh, what the military has been using for, for quite some time. Um, so yeah, looking at ways to take those technologies and operationalize them, um, in a, in the fire setting, you know, so it's really cool to be in a, in a, an environment where, um, basically fire nerdery, 
um, which is something that's near and dear to my heart is, is rewarded, um, in that way. So it was, uh, a, a, a really good fit for me when I, when I found the program. Oh yeah, man. That sounds like fun. It's uh kind of unique too. Like you're saying it's only in Colorado and like the feds don't have a program like this and this, uh, multi-mission, multi-mission use aircraft program. It's pretty cool, man. Like the imagery that you guys do of these fires and the detection programs are pretty legit. Can you uh, expand on that a little bit more? And is actually what you guys do over there? Yeah. So <laughs> talking specifically about the MMA program, the multi-mission aircraft, uh, we are not mixed martial artists, uh, <laughs> at least speaking for myself, I'm not. Um, so the, the MMA program is, we came out, um, of some fires that were basically reported, but not able to be found. Um, and so the idea was to get these aircraft, um, that have both color and infrared, um, sensors on there so that, you know, in, you could find fires, um, when they're really small to the point where it's just a single tree that's smoldering and there's no open flame and provide that, uh, real-time intelligence for, for guys on the ground, you know, basically talking guys on. And, and, and we've done a lot of that over the years, like, okay, take 10 steps forward, put your hand down. Do you feel the heat? Yes. Okay. That's that, you know, it's that, that accurate, that like... level of granularity. Um, so that was what the, the program was, was sort of designed for. And so I, I think of that in three different buckets. And so you have your detection bucket, which is going out after a lightning storm. Um, for example, the, we can load all of the lightning data for, um, where the strikes have been over the last 24 hours into the computer and actually point the camera at every one to make sure there's no heat within reason, as long as there's not, you know, um, way too many, uh, strikes, but you can, you can scan the areas that have been hit and see what's, uh, what's hot and what's not. So that's the detection bucket. The next is the, what I refer to as the tactical decision support. So that's like on an emerging incident that's starting to grow a little bit. Um, before there's an air attack overhead and before there's a lot of other resources, the MMA can be overhead and providing that information to the guys on the ground, um, access possible, um, you know, problem areas based on, you know, hazards like power lines or, um, radio towers, things like that before people get on scene so that we can, we can provide that. And then also letting them know what the fire is doing, where it's progressing and giving an assessment. We're not, we're not air attack. We're not directing, um, folks what to do, but we can give them a sense of where their problem areas might be and, and what they need to tackle first. Um, so that's the tactical decision support. And then the third sort of umbrella or bucket of things that we can do is, uh, what I called strategic support. And that's more, um, to the larger incidents to, uh, a, a regional level working with, uh, potentially a, a Mac group or an area command team managing multiple incidents in that way, we can, we can provide, um, perimeter updates in a similar way to the infrared products that, uh, the NIROPS program or the national infrared operation, um, program can, can provide. Um, we're not as efficient just because of the technology that we have there, but it's a capability that we, we can bring to the table. So if, uh, you know, if a fire isn't able to get a flight from, from NIROPS or from somebody um, else, now that they have a few other, um, contracts out there, but if for some reason there, that fire is not able to get that, that flight, <laughs> the MMA can come in and, uh, help them build that new perimeter, um, and send that down to the situation unit on the fire or, um, back to, to a GAC or to some higher level, um, command and control authority so that they are working off of the, the newest information. And we can also do that in daylight, um, which some of the new NIROPS contracts can, but the, the traditional way, um, is done at night. So we, we can provide those products really fresh for, um, a command and general staff meeting that might happen at say 1600 so that they're working off of the, the freshest data. Well, that's pretty cool. So, so it's, it's like almost, almost real time data as far as like the infrared footage goes, but, um, you can also do the, like, like I know that they do infrared, like IR mapping flights at night, but you guys have the capability of doing that as well. Correct. Yeah. So we can do that. And, uh, and when we say real time, uh, we're not pushing data in a live stream down, um, but we're sending it over essentially the internet. Um, and so we're, we're able to send it in near real time. So there's a little bit of a delay. So it's not like you're, you're watching a live feed from the camera. Um, but it's, uh, it's pretty quick. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the skeleton uh, of the MMA program. That's 
what we do. <clears throat> now, are you guys confined to the borders of Colorado or do you guys have the ability as a national platform? Yeah. So, um, the primary responsibility is to the state of Colorado because it's the, you know, it's a state program, uh, state tax dollars went into it. However, I mean, just the way that, that fire works in Colorado is, is very interagency is very cooperative. And so, um, we are not just confined to the borders of Colorado. Um, we can essentially, uh, mutual aid to all of the bordering States, uh, very easily. And then, provided the activity uh, within our state is calm enough, we will send that aircraft out, a aircraft out, because there's two, so we'll leave one back to cover and we'll send the other one um, everywhere. And we've been from Alaska to Florida um, with it. So we, we send it nationwide um, when we're able to. Nice. I could definitely see the value in something like that, especially if you're like, you know, I'm obviously not a type one IC or, you know, anything like that area commander. Uh, but I could definitely see the value of a program like that because if, the most up-to-date data that you have, the better decision-making you can have in, in, in the fires in, in, in the fire camp. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and, and then that's kind of the other thing that makes, um, the through line in a lot of the things that I think we'll, we'll talk about here today is the thing that makes the Intel products, um, good or bad is, you know, the, the people who are making the calls the the analysts essentially who are, who are doing that. And so one of the things that makes the MMA program special is that all of the managers who are operating the camera, who are creating the products, who are talking to the people are all on the, we're on the ground firefighters at some point, And a lot of us still maintain our operational flaws. So even though we're not that air attack, we've been there and we can, we can provide that perspective immediately down to the ground about, you know, what matters and, and, and kind of what doesn't, um, which is something that not that some other programs don't have not to, not to disparage them at all. It's just, that's a, an operational niche that we can fulfill. And so over time we've evolved into doing more and more of that tactical support because when we have the air, we have the air to ground radios and we can talk to the guys who are actually out there, um, you know, putting in line or, or doing whatever that, uh, that's, that's something that we can do that other folks can't. So, um, that's kind of the magic, I think. It's kind of like a air attack with a bunch of sensors and cameras and infrared stuff on board. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> that's cool. Man. And you know, more and more that's that, I think that's going to be the way things are trending. You know, it just, it's, it's oddly enough, it's helpful to see through smoke. Oh yeah. It's real helpful. Especially if there's like a nasty inversion layer or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so we've done a lot of that. Um, and we also can work with air attacks, especially, um, in really smoky environments where it's pretty marginal for them to be up VFR or visual flight rules. And we can operate up with uh, instrument flight rules in full instrument meteorological conditions. So we can be up there, um, and providing that clarity, talking to, um, you know, an ASM and saying, Hey, this is what we're seeing. Um, your last drop was this or that, and we can adjust them um, based off of what we're seeing through on the IR. So you get the pinpoint, basically. I mean, it's, it's, I guess from an aerial view, when I was riding around on helicopters, when I was heli attack, and you're trying to size up a fire from the air, you get a lot yep. of information coming into your eyes at once, and it's easy to misinterpret some of that data, if you will. So to have a little bit of extra tools on board these aircrafts to get you a more accurate depiction of what's actually happening on the ground, I definitely see the value in that. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, a lot of us who are on the program come from um, a hell attack background. Um, so yeah, we totally get that. We've I've been flying around in that seat. Um, okay, you got two laps and you're like, oh, okay, well, I think I got a pretty good idea of what's going on, but it's not the same as, is, uh, you know, being able to view that same imagery overlaid onto a topo map and, 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 you know, even take the extra 30 seconds to really look at it. And so that's one of the things that we, we try to, um, the value that we try to provide with the program. Oh, that's awesome, man. So how many of these aircraft do you guys have in the state of Colorado? So we have two, um, and the aircraft are, uh, Pilatus PC 12. So single engine turboprops, um, Long, pretty long endurance, longer than most of our bladders. Um, so you can, we can be up there for, for quite some time. Um, and then they're equipped similarly to some, uh, military aircraft, specifically the, um, U 28, which is, uh, 
an Air Force. Uh, it's the same plane and it has a similar um, sensor setup on it. Gotcha. So I know you can't go into the details of exactly what's on these aircraft as far as instrumentation goes, um, because it, it is, you know, you're working with the guard and everything like that. But um, I definitely want to, I'm going to put some footage probably up here somewhere to give the, give the viewers on, at least on the YouTube channel, uh, an idea of what you guys are doing and the imagery that comes out of these, these platforms. And it's pretty badass, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, but there's no problem with, with showing any of the video or, uh, anything like that from, from there. It's, uh, you know, the, the multi-mission aircraft program doesn't have a lot of sensitivities to it. So, um, good to go on that. Perfect. Sounds good. I'll throw some in there. Um, so now let's talk fire guard. Fire guard sure. is going to be the new hot stuff. Let's, let's get into the nitty gritty of that and explain exactly what it is. Sure. So fire guard is now a national um, program to provide fire uh, detection and monitoring uh, nationally. So this grew out of um, two state programs. So the state of California in uh, 2019 um, began providing this coverage for their state. In 2020, um, Colorado started a pilot project to provide coverage just for Colorado. Um, the Forest Service, uh, especially in light of the COVID uh, situation, saw the value in having this sort of uh, layered approach to incident awareness and assessment. Um, and so having that persistent coverage at a national level was something that they really wanted. So they pushed through what's called a request for assistance to have uh, National Guard units um, assist the fire community with this stuff. So that's fundamentally um, how it started. And then what it is, is uh, it's a it's two at this point, two cells. So one in Colorado, one in California of National Guard analysts um, supported by state and federal partners to provide some of the fire context who are making calls about uh, potential new fires based on all sorts of different sources. So um, some of those are sensitive and, you know, on the military side, but then we're also bringing in all the information from other um, commercial sources and, uh, you know, NOAA sources. So, you know, MODIS, VIRS, GOES, and looking at all of the other um, products that are out there on the Intel side, um, Irwin for all of the different uh, fires that may be reported. And so our analysts are looking at all this data and making assessments on um, what they're seeing, what's burning, how much so, uh, of something might be burning. and then. The goal of that is to then take that information um, and put it out into a, a neat little package. <clears throat> it's a polygon um, that then gets distributed through several different sites, including um, the NISI ArcGIS Online organization, which is, um, you know, that's the same sort of thing that where the National Incident Feature Service lives, where people are mapping um, their fires. Uh, and then it also gets pushed out through other common operating picture applications like um, the Forest Service has Enterprise Geospatial Portal, EGP. And I know there's a lot of acronyms. I apologize for that. About to say, um, we're going to have to just, break down some of these acronyms and explain what exactly they are because I oh, guarantee yeah. you, these the rookies especially out there, they're going to be like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Oh, yeah. I, and uh, I, I fully um, acknowledge and, and apologize for that. I'm trying to be as, uh, as clear as I can. But it goes out to these other common operating picture applications, which are essentially a map that brings in all sorts of different feeds, including the FireGuard feed. And so you can then click on one of the polygons that the analysts draw, and it'll tell the, um, the approximate size, a pretty good location, um, usually accurate to within a few hundred meters, which for finding a fire is a lot better than trying to find something within a section. Yeah, no shit. Um, and then uh, it provides a lot of the other information that's super pertinent. So like, land ownership, um, you know, jurisdiction, uh, what dispatch center, uh, from the, on the interagency side, it falls within and weather information. So, uh, temp RH wind speed and direction, um, the, the main things that you care about. And so the idea is, is that in, in one tidy little product, you can click on that and have a whole lot more SFA about what that fire is and where it might be going. Than you would by just saying, "Hey, there's a smoke report in the vicinity of blah blah blah." Um, and so, 
I wanted to also emphasize that when we say fire guard is for fire detection, um, it's not necessarily meant for first detection. We're not in a race here to try to beat um, citizens calling 911 or lookout towers or something, uh, some other you know avenue of reporting. What we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, deconflict a lot of those. If there's any sort of um, you know contradicting reports about where a fire might be. And we're trying to provide that next level of detail uh, on the data for the folks who are responding. And it's also helpful for, for folks at all echelons. So for the, for the guys, for the engines or the helicopter managers, you know, they can be looking at that on their way um, en route to the fire. But it's also just as important for the FMOs to be working off of the same data, just as it's important for the folks at the GAC to be all looking at the same thing. Everybody's working off of the same information. And that's really the goal um, of providing it on all those platforms is that everybody is reading the same sheet of music. So to package that all up, basically this, this fire guard program is a national data collection. It's like a data analytics program basically. And it takes imagery from satellites, the weather information. It takes any, 911 calls or, you know, uh, reports, smoke reports from like a, a lookout tower and then your existing fires and everything. Basically, it's everything that's going around, going on nationally as far as a fire scope goes. And it's updating it to a national database so people can look at it like top level decision makers. I'm talking like your NMAC people that are trying to make uh, the best priority prioritization of resources for a particular fire. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a that's a good way to look at it. And so basically, what we're trying to do is we're we're having these analysts bring in as much information that has value as they can, parse that all down into a um, small deliverable, and have everybody from you know an IC five all the way up through those high levels of command um, have access to the same information um, so that they can. They can make, you know, the, the higher ups can make their decisions that matter in terms of prioritizing resources and figuring out how many fires they have in an area. And then all the way down to the to the type five, type four, I see saying, hey, uh, based on the fire guard detections that I'm seeing on route, maybe I want to go ahead and order another um, another resource to this. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's the goal. That's cool, man. Definitely, definitely useful as far as, you know, getting that situational awareness well beforehand, before you get on scene. Also, it gives you kind of a future perspective. You can actually see the bigger picture because if you get a very isolated view when you're an IC and you're sitting on the ground, you know, your boots on the ground and you have to communicate and you kind of have to like to decipher this information from air attack and your other resources, your divisions, and you have to make your own decisions based off of that. But when you have something that you can actually visualize, Shit, man, that's important. That's huge. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that we're ever going to replace taking a stick and drawing a diagram in the dirt or drawing on the back of a Napa receipt on the hood of a truck. I mean, it's fire. That's always going to be there. Oh, yeah. Um, but we want we want to add some um, some more advanced ways to do the, the, the same sort of things and some better tools for visualization. Gotcha. And now... Now, for existing fires, you're saying that is a 15-minute uh, updates on areas of fire growth? Uh, yeah, we can update uh, up to every 15 minutes. And so one of the other main points that we uh, that, that FireGuarders can be very useful for is for monitoring those larger fires. So we can, we can monitor that fire progress as it crosses the last known perimeter and then provide updates on that. Um, we're also currently working on some capabilities for direct communication with um with icps and saying hey give us your management action points for this if the fire crosses this let us know um or you know provide us constant updates on this section of line as we're doing a burnout or whatever the situation may be um where we can uh, we can provide that sort of support too so we have a little bit more context it's like oh they really are concerned about this road we need to be extra heads up for any fire on the east side of you know xyz road um and again you know this is not a, a super granular and accurate thing but it's another layer of eyes that are watching this that can really help um in that sort of a situation it can also really help when it's either too smoky too windy or that fire is not prioritized high enough 
to get, um, you know, aviation support uh, from from either the MMA or, you know, the distributed real time infrared or another contract aircraft that has a sensor on it. So uh, in the event that for whatever reason, an aircraft can't get to it, um, I kind of think of our us as being the, the consolation prize. We're not providing the same sort of perimeter because um, we're not mapping perimeters. We're just we're assessing where we think the fire is impacting. Um, so we're not making any sort of calls on like, hey, this is the uh, this is a new perimeter. It's like we just think that this area has been impacted. Um, but that's better than nothing. Oh, yeah. Especially if you get into like the wooey context of a, of a fire, uh, being able to, you know, know the direction of some some wooey operations. Like and if that fire just decides to turn tail and head towards that wooey, you guys can concentrate on that. Yeah. And so there's been a few situations where that that has happened in FireGuard last year um, provided that sort of essay. So the California team um, on the the Creek fire um, with the Mammoth Pools incident. So where there were um, several, I don't remember, several dozen people who were cut off um, at the Mammoth Pools reservoir by the by the Creek fire. You know, FireGuard was able to provide um, updates on where the fire was impacting when it uh, you know, when the road became compromised and all that. And uh, that was helpful in um, organizing and, and cre- creating enough momentum to getting the rescue operation where the guard helicopters flew in and evacuated a lot of those folks. Um, you guys had similarly. A, you guys had a, a play in that. I did not know that. Were the Chinooks that came in there and they rescued those folks off the uh, lake? Yeah, and I don't have full visit, so I don't want to get too uh, uh, oversell what happened too much. But yes, FireGuard was watching at that time and providing updates. Huh. Um, and so the similar thing happened with the East troublesome fire here in Colorado, which, uh, was, it made a hundred thousand acre run overnight in October, which is unusual for us. Um, un- unprecedented fire behavior. Um, fire guard was among the first to detect and confirm that the fire had in, in fact spotted from the west side of the continental divide up and over like a 13,000 foot pass several miles in advance of the fire and started a fire on the east side of the divide that then threatened Estes Park. Um, so Estes Park was under evacuation orders uh, and they actually pulled all operational resources off of the off of that side of the fire until they got a handle on where the fire was. So um, fire guard was providing those those 15 minute updates of like, hey, here's where we're seeing it. Hey, here's where we're seeing it. And uh, it was a very bumpy, turbulent day. Um, so it took a while for the MMA to get on scene. And then when the MMA was on scene, it could it was freed up as opposed to drawing perimeters. It was freed up to talking folks on to say, hey, this is a good place where you can um, potentially re-engage. It's in the meadow, it's, you know, diminished activity here. Um, and FireGuard was providing those geospatial updates as to where, where things were. So, yeah, there's definitely some, some, some good use cases for it in those sort of situations. Definitely seems like there's a lot of different instruments and different programs talking to each other on almost an, it is a national basis pretty much, but to have something like that, I mean, it it could save lives. And that's, that's really our goal. Um, you know, we want to provide these, these products for, for fire managers and that's all, you know, well and good so that they know it, but we have to keep in the back of our mind always that this is intended to be a safety enhancement, um, for, for everybody. So whether that is, you know, that's a, that much earlier that somebody can issue evacuations, or maybe it's, uh, that much earlier that somebody can pull resources out of an area that's going to get, um, that's going to get impacted. That's, that's the goal. And that's what I teach, um, all of our, you know, guard analysts, I put them through a little abbreviated one thirty one ninety, Um, and that, that's just what I hammer home. It's like, Hey, we have to, we have to be, heads up for this. We are another set of eyes and you have to be comfortable and you have to understand fire well enough to be able to make those calls and like, Hey, this is a bad situation. We need to, um, we need to let somebody know about this. So going back to the earlier discussion about the, uh, the force tracking systems, this, those kind of programs that were adopted from the military, uh, like the blue on blue indicators and stuff like that. Um, do you have now this fire guard program? Do this, does that have the ability to talk to that force tracking uh, program? Not yet. Keyword yet. But that's something that we're actively working with um, with folks across the the fire community, both 
uh, USFS, NIFC, and then also within the state. We have several different working groups to uh, to try to integrate these all these different systems. So uh, the Dingle Act, which passed uh, a couple of years ago, mandated um, blue force tracking for all uh, type one incidents. So um, Colorado, specifically um, the center of excellence <clears throat> that I, I think I was mentioning earlier, had um, has a has a role in that um, and is actually helping out the, the Forest Service with some uh, um, testing development. Uh, and, and tracking for specifically for the ATAC program. So, and it's called uh, DART, uh, the Dingle Act Resource Tracking um, Program. So, we're working that. We're working FireGuard at the same time, and we're looking at ways to put that information together, um, so that when you're when they're looking at their ATAC app and they can see all of the resources and where they are. At the same time, they can see the newest fire guard detection. At the same time, they can see, you know, um, all these other data sources that are bringing in there that allow it to work in a um, sort of what the military might call a non-permissive environment where you're not on perfect cell phone service, where you're, you're on some sort of a network um, local to the fire. So that's the goal. Um, so we're working towards that. We're not there yet, but we, uh, I think we have some, some pretty smart people who are, who are working hard to get it there. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, man. That uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there that don't like the idea of being tracked on a fire, looking at you, smoke sure. jumpers. <laughs> 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 but uh, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, this this provides an added layer of safety and SA for the boots on the ground, and I think it's a valuable program. Yeah, and and uh, you know, uh, to be quite honest, um, when I was, you know, playing, find a hidey hole as a hell attack guy, hide the hot shot. Um, yeah, yeah. Hide, hide the hot shot, hide the hell attack guy, you know, trying to, to post up. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is a little excessive, you know, if they need to get a hold of me, you know, call me on the radio. But then as specifically, uh, over the last couple of years, as we've seen some, some really, um, unprecedented fire behavior, at least in, in Colorado with our three largest fires in history happening last year. Yeah. Um, with, with these crazy runs that, that are being made, and uh, seeing some of the confusion that can happen when when situations reach that level of, you know, I don't want to say chaos, but reach that level of um, sort of frenetic activity. Yeah, it is. It is going to be uh, helpful to be able to, boom. Okay, I have accountability. I, I I can I can see where people are, and I know who to call if I need to um, get a hold of somebody specifically. No, that's a good thing, man. And that's another thing too, is like these, we need more of these programs. Um, and especially with today's fire activity, because of the short time, the short 11 years that I've been in fire, I've seen a dramatic increase in, you know, what's considered a large fire and how often those large fires are being, ha- are, are happening, man. So to have programs like the MMA, the multi-mission aircraft and these fire guard, uh, programs, <laughs> Yeah, we can catch things sooner, but also we can keep the general public and our firefighters a little a little bit more safe. Yeah, and like you know, kind of like we were talking about, there's I think a general um, hesitancy um, within the fire community writ large to to move to a more tech based solution, right? Um, and I think for a lot of this is like you know the move. First to GPS and then next to uh, Avenza and like, oh man, that's, that's pretty cool. And now, um, you know, the situation is essentially crowdsourcing a lot of the, the work that they have to do by going to collector. Um, and now it's, it's, it's starting to be more of an expectation specifically if you're going out as a single resource that, yeah, you got collector on your phone and you kind of know how to use it and you're, you're putting in, you know, what you did that day and you're taking it back and, you know, it's automatically, um, in, in plans hands and they can, they can use that to update the next map. So I think gradually we're moving towards uh, a, a situation where people are more comfortable, um, with tech and it's just going to get integrated more and more. Um, and so, yeah, we want to be ready for, yeah, we want, we want to be leading the way on that. Um, especially when it comes to safety pro- programs. Yeah, I mean that whole modernization of the workforce. I think that we're missing out, especially like 
you know, with some of the tools that the military already has, that's not like proprietary anymore. And they're kind of shoveling some of these tools that the military uses out onto the general public <clears throat> even now. I mean, that's where GPS started, right? I know yeah. we have the opportunity to utilize some of these things. And, and I don't understand why uh, we haven't explored those opportunities more as, as far as fire, wildland fire working with the military, because let's be honest, at the end of the day, the wildland firefighter is the perfect like analog for a someone who's actually a tactical person like downrange in a theater of warfare we can learn a lot here domestically and i I guess utilize some of these tools to see if they work domestically before we deploy them downrange yeah and i think that that hits on something that's really important that we have learned through the, the process specifically of working with the fire guard program um is one, the cultural similarities are, are, are huge, even, you know, to the sort of dark senses of humor. Uh, <laughs> it's great. No, like it, I mean, the meshing was, was really cool. And, and, and sort of like the rivalry between like, you know, helipack and jumpers is, 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 you know, the analog in the military would be between, you know, air assault and airborne and, uh, talking, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so even down to those little sorts of like, you know, friendly rivalries, it's still, um, uh, you, you can see, you can see the overlap there. So that's one thing. And so it, it is a, it's a, it's a fun and I think useful thing to sort of bring those cultures together and, and uh, you know, leverage the experience of each. And then additionally, especially with the fire guard program, when you have um, soldiers and airmen from Intel MOSs and AFSCs, which are like the job codes for the military, right? when they are engaged in a real world mission that has actual consequences and is actually being used, the, it's really hard to overstate the, the training value of that. And that, that when those analysts go back to their home units and maybe go on a downrange mission somewhere else, that they have been through that intelligence cycle, um, you know, the processing, exploitation and dissemination of, of, of this data and that they're 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 used to the op tempo. They're used to um, the the process, and they're used to some of the the challenges that come with that. And I think it just is an enhancement to National Guard readiness, um, just as much as it's a benefit um, for us on the fire side. So it's it's truly a symbiotic program. Oh yeah, man! The training value alone for these data analysts, like you're saying, if they're to go downrange, well, shit, man, they're already kind of trained up, at least. I mean, it's not the same, obviously. I hate drawing the comparison between, you know, military and fire sure. because it's not the same. It's well, we're one, we're not getting shot at, but we're still a good analog. Um, and I think that you're yeah. right, absolutely right that this is a good benefit for the guard or the military and whoever's uh, doing these data analytics, all these analysts over there getting that training for actual combat theater. Yeah. And so it, it really is. Uh, it's a good partnership there and it, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then also, you know, like you were saying, there's, there is a world of technology and stuff that people have already figured out on the military side that all we need to do is figure out how, you know, the authorities, the, the money and the, whatever other pieces might be involved to bring that into the fire world. We don't need to reinvent the wheel here. A lot of the work's already been done. Um, and so we just need to figure out how to get it, uh, how to, how to make what they have already worked for us. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely out there. The answers are out there, but like you said, man, time, money, implementation, and then you know, operating agreements. That's that's the big thing. Definitely, um, yeah. And there's a, I mean, I started losing my hair when I was very young. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but it, if I hadn't, it would definitely be gone by you know the time we're working through all of these different bureaucracies. And it's not um, it's not a knock on it. It's just the way the system works, and it can be very frustrating at times. And um, but it's, it, it's worth whatever hair loss, uh, you know, might've come out of it because, you know, the, the benefit definitely outweighs, um, the, the, the short-term pain. Oh yeah, absolutely. But there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages to any program that you implement too. And it's always anything new. I, I guarantee you, like every time something new comes along within a bureaucracy, especially for the boots on the grounds, it's all, all, always immediately answered with like skepticism. Yep. So, yeah. 
and so that's like one of the challenges uh, that I think we've definitely had. And there's with, as with any new program, there's hiccups, you know, we have outages or, Oh, we didn't realize that that was going to be a fail point or like whatever. So, um, especially over the last couple of years, especially going from 2020 to 2021, um, the Colorado program specifically had four analysts. We now have 16 analysts and as opposed to being responsible for one state, we have five GACs. Um, so that, that's just a, a, a huge jump in scale. Um, and so dealing with the, the, the failures that do happen and communicating those openly, um, but also trying to explain to, to folks who are skeptical of the program, oh, why are we sinking money into this? Why, are, why, why do we need to be doing this? It's like, um, that's, uh, that's, that's a kind of a hard balance to strike, but saying that, yeah, you know, this has the potential to increase you know, even if we just catch one or two fires and it makes a difference, the, this program is not that expensive. If we save, you know, a house or two, depending on where they're at, the program is paid for itself. Now that's a hard thing to prove, but the concept I think is the important thing there is like, it, it's worth the investment. It's worth the pain. We have to, uh, we have to go through and, and make it work because, you know, tech is changing, fire is changing, the world is changing and we gotta, we gotta be up there with it. No, I mean, it's just like a beta test with anything, you know, it's your, your first iteration of a program is always going to be fraught with problems going you got to work out the kinks. That's, that's the whole idea behind it. But once you get those kinks worked out, the potential is huge. And like you're saying, yeah. the value of it saving potentially, you know, infrastructure or someone's homes or even better yet a life. That's huge. That, like you said, man, that whole thing pays for itself and right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, talking about the infrastructure side, that's where there's a lot of other really cool partnerships that can be had. Um, you know, California is looking at it. Um, Colorado is starting a couple different pilot programs as well. And I use those two states because that's what I have the most um, visibility on. I, I know that there's stuff happening in Arizona and Oregon and all that. But um, basically partnering utility companies um, with fire agencies for, you know, leveraging um, sites for cameras, detections, uh, you know, depending on what, you know, what vendor you go with and all that, but, but being able to basically hook up cameras and then use that as an additional layer um, within the analytical cell. So you can cross-reference whatever you might be seeing on your screens and then flip over to a camera and see exactly, Oh, yep. I see a smoke bloom. Yeah. Um, and having those partnerships with the utility companies, they have a vested interest in, in, in finding fires that are either going to impact their, inf that, uh, their infrastructure or that they potentially started on their infrastructure. So, um, you know, that's another one of those ob kind of part obvious partnerships to pursue. And we're trying to do that. Yeah. And it makes sense too, especially when all eyes are on these utility companies, you know, with an aging infrastructure. Um, yeah. I mean, it makes sense to be a little bit risk adverse and take advantage of these, these programs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're moving that way. Um, and that's a, like I said, that's a great benefit to, to our guys as analysts, because it's like, that's a, yet another tool in the toolbox. Oh yeah. So for the general public, we're not general public, but the firefighters on the ground, um, cause I know you're going to need a password and all that stuff for these programs to actually access this data, but where can you get this data? Yeah. So for the vast majority of, uh, of firefighters across the U.S., whether they're um, fed, state, local, <clears throat> one of the best sources is to get an EGP account, um, which is a, again the Enterprise Geospatial Portal. And if you just Google that, it's it's hosted by a company called Intera. Um, and if you if you Google that, it'll take you to a, a re account request thing. It'll walk you through the process, and uh, it's there's a lot of data on there. <clears throat> and so you started to take advantage of the tutorials um, that are on, on the website, on the splash pages, and then just start going around and, and, and looking through stuff. And so um, there's several different workspaces uh, that bring in all sorts of different data. That's where you can get the lightning. You can see the fire guard detections. You can see um, the, the most up-to-date perimeters, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and that's available within, within EGP. Um, I also mentioned the NIFSI ArcGIS Online. And so it's, again, if you just Google NIFSI AGOL, um, get yourself uh, an account for that. And as soon as you're um, 
credentialed within the organization, yeah, you'll have access to um, all the several different dashboards that are out there for FireGuard. So you can see new detections uh, filtered by geographic area and local interagency dispatch center. Uh, you can also just see a national picture. Um, and you can see the statistics on how many fires have been detected uh, daily, weekly, and year to date. So, um, and that's all available within the, uh, the hub site. And I'm happy to send some of those links over so that you can post that uh, potentially with the show notes or something like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so as soon as, soon as you have um, an AGOL account, there's a whole lot of different ways to view it. And it kind of is pretty customizable depending on what you want to, um, how you want to receive the data and what other stuff you want with it, what other layers you want turned on. Do you just want the fire guard detections or do you want to see it relative to everything else? So yeah, there's, there's a, there's a whole lot of ways and, and having it packaged up digitally like that is one of the huge advantages. Yeah. And you can, like you're saying, you, so you don't get drowned in data. You can also set like filters, like you're saying that way you're not getting overwhelmed by everything at once. Correct. Yeah. Both in, in, uh, in EGP and in, um, AGOL, you can basically within a workspace, you can go through and turn off whatever you don't want to see. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, it's a cool program, man. It's uh, it's definitely interesting to see these new uh, technological advances and then these national programs all talking to each other. It's it's pretty interesting to see this stuff. And I'm I'm only assuming that it's going to get more and more and more prevalent within our space. Yeah, um, I think that's a fair assessment to make. And I think we're also this is um a, a great example of the interagency really working together, right? Because I'm um, a state employee who is representing the interests of my state, but also um, helping stand up a federal program with, you know, National Guard members from both the Air National Guard and the Army National Guard across all, you know, it's the most interagency thing that I can think of. Uh, and I think that really is the model going forward, because as budgets are tapped out, as, um, you know, hiring limitations or, or whatever might happen, um, it's important to look for your sources of talent within the community, wherever they are. Um, so, you know, Forest Service can't necessarily just stay in-house with some of this stuff. They have to look at, you know, other states um, or other programs to say, hey, yeah, we want to work collaboratively on this. Let's let's get it done. Um, and that's the, that's the key thing. And, and I think Colorado, um, was particularly well positioned to do that because we're so used to doing that anyway. Colorado is a very, um, integrated state with, when it comes to wildland fire management, we're, you know, always mutually supporting, um, with BLM, with forest service, with local departments. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we're used to being in that layer cake anyway. Um, so, is sort of a natural partnership uh, that with some of our sort of tech forward um, philosophies to to partner up for this sort of stuff, and I think that's going to be that way going forward. Yeah, and you also brought up a, a interesting little point there, especially with the hiring and the personnel issues that we're having on a national scale. And that doesn't matter if it's you know state. Well, some states are doing better than others. They're typically overall doing a lot better than you know federal agencies as far as retention and hiring. But programs like this, you know, I mean. It could definitely help. It's like it's going to have to be all hands on deck because we don't necessarily have the personnel to send out into the field to, you know, monitor these things like these data sets that you're trying to collaborate with or uh, I guess put all together in this package with FireGuard. So to know what I'm getting at is to know with the with the staffing issues that we're having and to know when fires happen, where they're at, what it's impacting and the values at risk. I think that's going to be a force multiplier. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we, we, we definitely, definitely recognize that. Um, and, you know, regardless of, of what, what the staffing issue is, even if, you know, you were basically able to have whatever you wanted, there are fire seasons where it didn't, it wouldn't matter if you had a million people, there's just not enough. Uh, and and even if you had a million year. people, if you didn't have the data to support it and the Intel to, to direct it, it's, you're going you're to run into limitations there. Oh, yeah. No, you, you are. And that's the thing. It's like you're fighting Mother Nature. It's the only natural, natural disaster that we actually try and corral and control as a human species, right? So all of the tools that will get you to 
better plan and better come up with a um, a strategy of attack or atta- your strategies and tactics for getting after these things. Uh, it's it's definitely going to be a help. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly um, that's certainly our opinion, and we just want the you know we're really grateful for opportunities like this because we need to get that message out to everybody. Um, we don't need it to just be siloed at the higher level management positions. We want, uh, this is, this is available to, to everybody. And so we want everybody from that, you know, basically newbie to, to start familiarizing themselves, uh, with the, the tools and the data that's out there. Um, so that as you move up and, and as we've talked about, you know, as, as fire seasons get, uh, more intense and, and the experience, um, like you said, from 11 years, this is my 10th year. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a whole lot different if you're a first year in 2020 or 2021 compared to when you're 2010 or 2011, um, based on the sort of fires that you're going to see, the number of dispatches you're going to get, um, the fire behavior you're going to see. And so it's, you know, if we're sort of bringing people up as to borrow the term, you know, digital natives, and how they're receiving that data, that's going to be a, that's going to be a help regardless of who you work for. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, we're only going one direction and that's towards programs like this, like you're saying. Well, that's certainly my hope. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty great, um, to, to be a part of that and, and to, you know, have a chance to, uh, basically, be detailed. So like I'm great. I said, I'm part of the multi-mission aircraft program, but luckily, you know, my boss was like, Hey, this is, this is a cool program. This is a good opportunity. And so I've been detailed for uh, more than a year now um, to be on the, on the fire guard program and, and kind of off of the normal flight roster. And so having that sort of support is super important as well. It's good also to get, you know, some diversity in your experience as well. Like, dude, I, I, I don't blame you for being detailed and this is a pretty bitching program. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the, uh, I don't know, it's just been the, the, the way my career has kind of gone. Um, I, I used to jump ship quite a lot, you know, you go around to. to, to do all sorts of different things. And, um, I, I think that's to my benefit ultimately at this point to, to have worked for several different agencies to have worked, um, you know, for, for different States, understanding the, the perspectives there. And then, uh, you know, finally having the opportunity to, to channel my nerdery into, uh, into, into cool stuff like this. No, it's a good thing, man. Um, it's definitely tech heavy and it's definitely heavy on the data side, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I there's a lot of high level stuff in here that I've, obviously I'm not going to understand because I'm not ingrained with it, you know, in, ingrained in the program, but it's pretty cool, man. I think it's, uh, it's like you said, it's a way of the future. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely saving, it's, it's, it's saving acres, it's saving lives and it could actually, you know, explode into this bigger picture program as well. And to have this potential to be something much larger to where we're getting fires faster or making better decisions and all that stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And like, for example, when I, uh, I worked prior to working for the state of Colorado, I worked for the state of Texas as a uh, regional fire coordinator out there. And there were times where the volunteer departments who I supported wouldn't know about a fire until it was one or 200 acres. Um, just because of, you know, it's in the middle of, uh, uh, of a huge ranch out in West Texas. And, you know, just that's how big it gets before somebody sees the column from town. Um, so, you know, being able to, to manage that, you know, not only at a, at a national level, but man, helping out those, those local and volunteer departments so that they're, they're not stuck away from their jobs for the whole week, trying to fight a fire. They can go out there sooner. Just the, the, those sorts of perspectives I think are important to have represented as well. Oh yeah. This is a bit, this program benefits everybody, yeah. not just your feds, not just your state. It's everybody. Absolutely. Nice, man. Well, cool, man. This is an awesome program. And uh, I definitely want to point people in the direction to uh, find out more information about this program. So where can we find you? Yeah. So um, the, the best thing to do is to uh, reach out um, either to myself um, or to Sean Triplett, who's uh, U.S. Forest Service um, working uh, with NIFSI. 
and uh, I, I'll pass you all that contact information. Uh, and you know, you can ask questions about uh, the, the specifically the fire guard program or any other IAA program that we have going on out there. Um, we'll talk to you about your best options in terms of uh, each person's kind of situation based on what agency they work for and what uh, contracts might be available for them for, for software and stuff like that, get them pointed in the right direction. But yeah, the baseline is uh, the, the NIFC AGOL organization and EGP. Um, and if you're, if you're set up with those, you're going to be in a good spot. Oh yeah, man. And then uh, as far as like your socials and everything like that, where can we find the uh, is it DPFC, so, uh, right? DPFC MMA? For, yeah. So for DFPC, DFPC. Uh, the multi-mission aircraft, if you want to, if you want a lot of pretty cool, um, footage, both from the sensors and from the, uh, you know, wing shots of cool fire col columns with pyrocumulus clouds and all sorts of stuff like that. It's, uh, Instagram is, uh, DFPC underscore MMA. Um, so definitely give that, give that a check, um, and see, see what we're kind of doing on a daily basis, um, in Colorado. And so it's a, it's, there's some pretty impressive footage out there and it'll give you a sense for, um, what, what the MMA program is all about and what it does. Um, FireGuard, we're not represented uh, on, on on social media. We try to um, keep it just to a, a profile within the professional community. Gotcha. Well, cool, man. Well, coming up on the end of the show, I always give an opportunity for you to give a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. Who do you got for us? Oh, man. Uh, I got to give a shout out to um, a guy named Mike Frary, uh, who I worked with uh, on the multi-mission aircraft. Um, he retired after 44 seasons in uh, in wildfire um just had uh, been everywhere seen everything and remembered every detail including what division he worked on on a fire 30 years ago um that's impressive just a, uh, an amazing uh, just an impressive man and uh um got me out of a couple tight spots um and just uh, definitely kept me uh kept our, our whole crew in good spirits so i gotta give mike a big shout out oh yeah shout out to mike man well, Pete, thank you for being on the show, man. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you giving us the rundown on both the MMA program for Colorado and the FireGuard program. Pretty interesting stuff, man. I, I like hearing about this new tech and emerging technologies that are going into the fire community, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. I know it's not as uh, sexy content as as uh, some of the really cool, you know, old war stories and stuff like that. Um, I, I really enjoy those episodes, but. Uh, um, you know, hopefully folks can, can give this a listen and, and, uh, they have a better understanding of, of some of the stuff that's out there. Um, even if like, I know it's a sea of acronyms and, and craziness and all that, but like, just know that there's, there's cool data stuff out there. And if you're interested enough, um, and you do enough, uh, digging and exploring, it's going to help you out. Well, I know our people in the aviation community are really going to appreciate this because at the heart of every hell attacker and hell hell base manager or UA, UAS, I almost said UAP because I was thinking about the UAP report that the uh, CIA just released. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so not yeah. UAP, UA, UAS, the UAS programs um, and your flight managers. The, I know the aviation community would definitely appreciate this because at the heart of every aviator is pretty much a dork. So some sort of a fire nerd at least. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we got, we got to uh, stay together. So um, no, no, thank you so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Oh yeah, Pete. Well, thank you for being on the show, man. Hopefully get you on here again. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, have a good one. And boom, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the anchor point podcast is in the books with our good friend, Peter Vidmar. Pete, dude, that was cool, man. Uh, I am all about emerging technologies and utilizing these new tools to provide better SA and better safety components to uh, not only our boots on the ground, but the general public as well. It's pretty cool. This multi-mission aircraft platform. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And uh, I'll definitely put some links to uh, their socials and they got some pretty good, pretty cool footage of uh, the capabilities uh, of that program. Not only that, but we also discussed in depth the new National Fire Guard program and uh, yeah, it's layering of data and providing that SA to not only your, you know, IC5 Firefighter 1, but all the way up to your national uh, office members, like your your NMAC coordinators and your area, com area commanders. Jeez, I can't talk. 
apologies, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm a little bit tired. I slept like crap last night. But with that being said, it is a pretty cool thing. And yeah, SA is key. It's key to safety. It's key to managing resources. It's key to managing and protecting infrastructure and our national public lands. Pretty sweet stuff. So Pete, once again, thank you for uh, being on the show. Uh, it was pretty cool, man. I dig this fire nerd stuff. For the rest of you, I hope everybody's doing well. We're going to have a long season, like I said uh, in the beginning of that intro. So yeah, it's PL4 and we're probably going to be in PL5 here rather quickly. So buckle up, make sure you guys do a buddy check and uh, yeah, keep your head on a swivel. It's going to be a dangerous one this year. With that being said, special shout out to our sponsors. We got Hotshot Brewery. Yeah, kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out their full line of apparel and kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. We got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest damn packs on the planet. If you have a load-bearing need, well, they have a load-bearing essential just for you. Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. Oh, yeah, and check out their Backbone Series scholarships. It's pretty badass. And then if you guys want to help fund that Backbone Series scholarship, well, go over there and pick up some of those packs that I mentioned, the uh, Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase. Pretty badass. www.mysteryranch.com. We've got the Smoky Generation, of course. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. You're keeping that dream for these people out there telling a the story of Wildland Fire alive, and I dig it. And then last but not least, we've got the Ass Movement. Needless to say, they are the finest poo-bearing propaganda. I'm pretty sure the only <laughs> poo-bearing propaganda in all the land out of Alaska. Pretty cool message. Uh, it's a funny name, but it's uh, serious about being true stewards to the land. So if you've got a problem pooper, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. For the rest of you, you guys know the drill. Stay safe. Stay savage. Peace. <laughs>